Welcome to Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Your hosts are Becky Olson and Sharon Hennepin. Our show is here to help breast cancer patients, survivors, their friends and family with the resources, support, and inspiration they can use right now. Here are your hosts, Sharon and Becky. Welcome to Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. My name is Becky Olson. I've battled breast cancer five times in the last 23 years. I'm also a motivational speaker, a speaker mentor, and the published author of The Hat That Saved My Life. Hi, I'm Sharon Hennepin. I'm a 25-year breast cancer survivor, certified life coach, and the author of my book, Thriving Beyond Cancer. Becky and I are also the co-founders of Breast Friends. And Sharon, I'm really excited. My book is getting so close to being out on Audible. Yay. Oh, that's exciting. Yep. (laughs) I know. Any any day now. So, well, before we introduce our guest, I wanted to just kind of take a minute and talk about something that's been on my mind a lot. I think more because it's been happening so much more often these days. But, you know, there's a lot of people that have beliefs about repeating numbers. You know, when you see the same number over and over again, it means something to different people. Sharon, I know you have that number, 917, right? Yep, that's my birthday. Yep. And so, <laughs> so that, for whatever reason, 917 speaks to me. So, yeah. Yeah, and my number is 444. And actually, my husband and I, kind of over 38 years of marriage, almost 39, we've always kind of embraced that number as God's hour. And, you know, a lot of weird things happen at 444 for us. When, when I see that number... That tells me that, you know, I I need to like tune in and pay attention to what's going on around me and maybe the messages that God has for me at that hour. And the reason it's come up more is because I think my husband gets up every day at 444 and prays for me for, you know, for healing for my cancer and just really, um, I mean, he's just, he's just pouring the love on me at 444. It's pretty awesome. So anyway, it's just, it's kind of a big deal and it's an important it's important that we recognize and honor those numbers when when they kind of pop up in our life. And you know, it's kind of it's an interesting subject to Google too. There's a lot there's a lot of, about it. I don't really understand it. Don't need to. I just have a feeling that it it's pretty valuable. I, I wrote a whole speech around a dream that I had when I woke up from this dream, and it was 4:44. I knew that there was God was talking to me in that dream, and I ended up creating a whole talk called the legacy box. And I, that maybe that might be a good topic of conversation one of these times. But anyway, so I wanted to share that with you before I introduce our guest, because that kind of that whole concept sort of brought us back together. And I'm going to let her tell that in just a moment. But for those of you who listen to our podcast often, you know that we have a variety of guests and topics, you know, and all of our guests have some meaning to our audience, primarily of cancer survivors. Most of the guests on our show are invited as professional experts in their field, but every now and then we bring someone on on the show to tell their personal story, and, and through the telling of those stories, we hear stories of resilience and hope. Our guest today, Julie Sieber, has one such story. She's been through an amazing journey of cancer, which then led, of all things, to a heart problem. But Julie is still going strong, and Julie and her husband Roy have been supporters of Breast Friends for some time. And as it turns out, Julie and I have a lot of things in common, including numbers. Welcome, Julie. So happy to have you. Thank you. And I, oh, I, and I am, I, this sounds really cliche, but I just really feel honored to be in the presence of you two amazing people oh, who oh, I've admired for heart. so long. <laughs> it's, it's great. 
<laughs> well, Julie, you know we're we're the one that we're the ones that are honored today. So we thank you for coming on on the show and sharing your journey. So why don't you tell our audience how we first met? Do you, re- you know do you remember? that was funny? I you know I'm thinking that you were weren't you a keynote speaker at a Coleman annual conference uh, at least once? Yeah. Is that yeah? Um, yep. Yeah. And I think that is maybe the first time I saw you. You were an inspirational speaker for us at one of those wonderful conferences that they used to do, which is, they still have them. We don't go to them as often, but uh, this probably would have been around 2006 or 2000, probably 2006. And anyway, um, you were up there and you were talking about your book, "The Hat to Save My Life," and. I just and and I always pay attention to people who are stage three because I was a diagnosed stage three and so that always makes my ears perk up. But yeah, there you were up there, just you know, you were charming and and fascinating and <laughs> you know dynamic. And uh, I just was really struck with the positive energy that was radiating off you at a time that I really needed to feel it. And Aww. it happened again when we invited you up here. Our support group had a runway to recovery fashion show every year for survivors. And you were a keynote speaker at one of those as well. It was held in the convention center up here in Longview, Kelso. And I believe that is when you told me the story or told us the story about the, the box. And uh, and I think that's when you first started talking about 4.44 in the morning. And it yeah. really stuck with me for some reason, although I remembered it wrong. <laughs> I'll tell you that in a second. <laughs> and then the third time I, I think I saw you was when we actually had, were lucky enough to have you drive up from Portland and address our support group meeting here at the hospital in Longview. Um, what a wonderful honor that was. And just a room full of women who were just transfixed by you. And uh, I remembered a lot of the stories you told from your book, uh, especially funny one about your husband that I remember and I won't go into. <laughs> but uh, really. Yeah, there, there's and a few so, in there. <laughs> Yeah, there's the yes, well, I know. But um, anyway, so I've just, and again, we've been, we've gone to the, the Breast Friends um, luncheons down in Portland on and off, and Roy has um, donated uh, some of his bird photography toward the cause, and uh, then we do run into you from time to time in Cannon Beach. Yeah, we have I a house that. there. You know, my you husband guys, and I, we yeah. fell in love in, in Cannon Beach, and um, we, we have a little yeah, place at the yeah. coast further down the coast, but, but Cannon Beach always has just yeah. a beautiful spot in my heart because of that. You know, we kind of had our first yeah. date after we met in Cannon Beach, and it was, it was pretty go. special. So, so yeah, and we're going to yeah. talk about and your, you and, your yeah. life at the coast. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so you, and, you, you and Sharon were both there. We were at a gallery. We were outside a gallery. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if yeah. it was Steve Hanks. Was it, it was. Yes, it me? was. Uh-huh. I love yeah, his work. Yeah. Yeah, it was yep. pretty special. So I remember was, that day. That it was, was it was a nice day at the coast, which is unusual yeah. sometimes because it's often rainy at the Oregon coast. But, yeah, it was beautiful. And we were there. I think we were there on a some kind of a little retreat weekend or something ourselves. So, yes, so running into been. you guys was kind of fun. It so, was. It was. So, so, Julie, you contacted me recently because of numbers. So why don't you talk about yes, that for a minute? I did. I did, and again, for me, my repeating number in my life is 440, and uh, the reason for that being I come from a family of musicians, and when a violin begins to tune the orchestra, it is playing uh, 440 revolutions per minute. It's, that's, the, that's the pitch that it, it chooses, so it's the A, and so 440 is important to musicians. 440 was in my driver's license when I first got it when I was 16, and it's still there until they change the Washington driver's licenses now. I think they're going to all numbers. 
So I will be reluctant to give up my driver's license <laughs> number and go to all numbers when it expires. Um, and then we built my dream house over the Columbia um, when I turned 40, and we moved in the day after I turned 40. And strangely enough, the address of the house was 440. So I would oh, say wow. I got it 440. And I just love that, too. So um, I was remembering incorrectly that you had said 440 in the morning was, was the angel's hour. And so I called you, and I, I wanted to find out more about the significance of what that meant, because uh, my mind had gone a little foggy on exactly what were the ramifications. But I found myself working, waking up at 440 in the morning. So, and then you, you corrected me and said, no, 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 it was 444. And I said, oh, oh, well, well it's great to talk to you anyway. <laughs> and, uh, well, you know what, was, Julie, I have a really... feeling if the angels are there at 444, they're also there at 440. So yeah, I think I you're, I think you're I good. Think <laughs> yep, I think I got a few of the early angels that catch the worm rather than the, <laughs> there you the go. later ones. So. Yeah, well, listen, yeah. why don't you talk so about, for just a minute about what your life was like? Because, um, you know, you were diagnosed with cancer, obviously. I don't remember what year that was, um, but why don't you talk about your life? Two thousand six. You know, up to that. What what year was it? Uh, two thousand six. So I was fifty. I turned fifty, and uh, then two months later, wham! You know, everything just crumbled. Up until age fifty, I had never set foot into a hospital. Um, I've never had kids. I've never broken a bone. I've never had any major illness. No stitches. No nothing. I escaped my childhood completely unscathed. And um, so to be to be hit with this diagnosis was quite alarming. Um, however, I had had a scare in uh, 2002 when they found calcifications on my mammogram. Now, granted, the, the mammograms here in Longview at that time were not digital mammograms. So it was kind of like, you know, prehistoric equipment they were using on me. And they said, oh, your breasts are very dense. And I thought that was a good thing. I thought it meant they were perky and firm and sexy right. and, you know, and apparently <laughs> dense apparently has negative ramifications when you're talking about breast cancer because it means you can't see what's going on in there. But um, yeah, anyway, so uh, before before I was actually diagnosed, I did have a scare, which included a biopsy, and uh, it turned out to be benign. But once they had gone in and taken a divot, out of there. It became very lumpy. They assured me that would smooth out and everything was fine. But as the years went by, it did get lumpier. There were some hard parts in there and it, I just didn't like the feel of it. And every year, the you know, the, the mammogram equipment, prehistoric as it was, told me I was fine. And so I believed it because I wanted to believe it. And finally, um, I was walking through a, a, a drugstore up here. There was a book on a shelf and I just grabbed it and it said something about... Um, Scar tissue can hide malignancies, and I put it back on the shelf at that time. I was just horrified. I put it back, and I walked out of there, and I thought, I've got to do something. I've got to go in and get this looked at, and I couldn't get it out of my mind, and so I finally contacted the surgeon. He said, well, it's probably just scar tissue, but if you want, we can do a biopsy. Well, who wants to have a drill go into their breast? But I said, sure, let's let's do it, and <laughs> what we do. Uh, lo and behold... Lo and behold, uh, it, 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 it turned out it was, it was cancerous. And I later went back and bought the book. So talk about the hat that saved your life. I talk yeah. about this book that saved my life. Yeah. It's this little paperback yeah. and this one chapter in this book, which I've never even read the whole book. I just wanted to have that book. So I've got that at home because that is the reason I pushed for the biopsy. And if you have gut feelings, again, I, I am so, Strongly in favor of being your own advocate. There is just no 
no comparison. Uh, yeah. They don't know your body as well as you do. My right arm was being very tired all the time, and I did not know why. I thought it was the computer mouse. I thought it was it was sitting at the wrong angle. I had them buy a $400 computer tray for me at work because my right arm would get so tired. And I realize now that the lymph nodes were completely clogged with cancer. I had 10 cancerous lymph nodes, and oh, that's wow. why the arm was so tired. But who thinks about breast cancer when your arm's tired from working the computer mouse? It just does not compute. I mean, it does yeah, not, it does, it so does not translate. Yeah. I know my uh, mother-in-law um, back in the 90s, uh, unfortunately, had the same sort of thing. And her her malignancy was was hidden behind scar tissue. She'd had several biopsies that were negative, that were benign for years and years, and... You know, so after a while, you kind of kind of lose your <laughs> zest for looking for them because they're, you know, she'd yeah. gone in so many times and had something biopsied. Well, unfortunately, to your to your point, she yeah. um, had a, mal- a very large malignancy behind her scar tissue. And, yeah, it was it wasn't um, picked up until it was really too late. So which is sad. Yeah. yeah. Julie, yeah. I have a question for you. Why why did you went in for a baseline at 35? Um, that's I that's unusual to do that. What was that about? Why did you do that? And you know, it, it's interesting because I always followed the doctor's orders and I remember seeing that the recommendation was age 35 the baseline, then you wait 5 years and then you go to annual mammograms. So this was back in, you know, um, the early 2000s they came out with that and I was just doing what my doctor suggested. Uh, just uh-huh. like any good patient would, I had no reason to fear that anything would be happening. At that time, I did not know that my paternal grandmother had indeed died of breast cancer of the right side. Um, the reason we didn't know is she was in an insane asylum uh, in the 40s, and she was her, the records were locked up. And my sister just recently got the records opened up and found all of the notes on the wow. progress of her disease. And, of course, in 1946, they just they just hacked it off, and there was no chemo, there was no nothing. And so she recurred the, the next year and died at, like, age 57. Mm-hmm. But through my childhood, I had no idea. I had no mm-hmm. idea there was any connection to breast cancer in my family whatsoever. So, of course, when this was discovered, I, I went in and had the BRCA test, which was negative because that would have had ramifications for my sister and my mm-hmm. brother if I had carried that gene. Mm-hmm. But no, at age 35, I was just a good little patient going in, doing what I needed to do. <laughs> and didn't I did give the it a same thing. Thought, you know? So Sharon, yeah, you had a baseline yeah. at 35 as oh, well? Oh yeah. Uh-huh. Really? My doctor suggested it and I'm like, oh. okay, whatever, you know. And of course, remember then I had really small breasts and I had uh, actually augmentation to become a 34B. So <laughs> <laughs> even with augmentation, I barely could fit into the mammogram machine. Wow. I mean, it was kind of comical actually. <laughs> but at the same time, you know, um, uh, at least my uh, my augmentation, they had put the implant behind the muscle, behind the bre- the little bit of breast tissue I had, and but but in my case, neither one of my um, lumps on my cancer side actually showed up on uh, a mammogram. I actually felt my own lump, so that's wow. what drove me in at forty to to actually 
figure out what that lump was. Um, but I did have that baseline, which I think is important. And most, most doctors mm-hmm. see, and see, I didn't have any family history because I didn't have any family history. I, I was That's a doctor. <laughs> you have a lot now though, don't you? <laughs> and now I have all sorts of family history, but, um, but, but to Julie's point, you, sometimes that stuff is either hidden or buried or, you know, not accessible to us. And so I, I think that was probably the reason my doctor decided to do a baseline was just because we didn't have any information. You know, I, I didn't mm-hmm. do a baseline at 35, but we fa- I found a lump in my breast at about age 36 or so. And I went in to have a mammogram. It kind of scared me. I didn't realize I had a family history of cancer, but it turns out I have a very heavy duty one, um, which evolved later as I found out as you start to explore things. But um, they told me it was just fibrous tissue and not to worry about it. But I think it's because honestly, when I think back, probably because I my breasts were dense at that time and you know, cancer cells are white and dense breast tissue is white and you just don't see them. It's kind of like hiding behind scar tissue, right? Exactly. So, um, and it just continued to grow over the next seven years. And then that's when we went in for a mammogram and found that, that it was fibrous tissue, but inside was a pretty well, um, grown, (laughs) um, Mm-hmm. To, you know, cancer tumor. So, so it's you know, it's an interesting, it's an interesting battle that we all face. And 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 Julie, you know, you mentioned BRCA. You didn't test positive. I didn't either. But about a year or so ago, I went in for the expanded panel of testing, and I actually carry two mm-hmm. gene mutations, but neither one is BRCA one or two. And the the one I have yeah. is called Check Two. My I got it from my mm-hmm. dad. My dad's brother had it. My dad's sister had it. He probably got it from his mom. And wow. some of my siblings, or not my siblings, my cousins, are being impacted now because um, they've tested positive as well. So it's, uh, you know, there's there's a lot more that now testing than the BRCA, just the BRCA gene. And the one I have leads to the possibility of colon and breast cancer. It's not as, it's not as high of a risk as the BRCA, but it's um, definitely there. So on that note, we are going to, Go ahead and take a break, and we will pick up this conversation on the other side. So stay tuned. We'll be back in a minute. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Thank you for listening today. Breast Friends needs your support. We rely on donations to keep our doors open and to keep this radio program alive. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation to Breast Friends. You can visit us at breastfriends.org. You can also like us on Facebook at Breast Friends of Oregon. Be sure to tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time and Thursdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Women's Channel. For Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio, visit breastfriends.org and contribute today. When was the last time you felt free? It's time to uncover that feeling again with the compassion of a cross and shield and the power of a card that opens doors to the best hospitals and medical centers in all 50 states. Giving you the freedom to love, to dream, to dance like no one is watching. Regents Blue Cross Blue Shield. Live fearless. 
The Voice America Talk Radio Network is on Instagram. Make sure you follow us and comment on our pictures from behind the scenes at our radio shows, live events, and around the network. We want to see what you have to share as well. Check us out on Instagram at Voice America Talk Radio. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. are tuned into Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. To reach the program today, please call us at 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Becky at breastfriends.org. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to our program. We've been talking with our guest, Julie Sieber. And Julie, on the first segment, you mentioned... Um, the importance of being your own best advocate. And I really want to spend a little more time on that because that is a huge, huge topic. I mean, it's just like, you know, in my diagnosis, um, finding my lump and, you know, I was 40 and the only people I knew at that time in my life who had had any sort of breast cancer were way, way, way older. And, um, and I was young and fit and healthy and all that good stuff. And I could have easily ignored the fact that there was that little pea size lump in my breast. And sometimes our fear will allow us to do those things. But to your point, like who wants to have a, a, a biopsy, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, sign me up, yeah. right? Um, <laughs> so fun. <laughs> but, but sometimes we just need to be brave and, and just kind of push through those things, question whether yeah. or not something is normal, because if it's not normal for you, there may be something going on. And I'm not encouraging people to be hypochondriacs, of course, but at the same time, whether you've already gone through a cancer diagnosis or not, you know, you know your body, you really do have a sense of what's right and what's wrong. And so listen to it. And again, if it doesn't correct itself in a few weeks, then have your doctor check check it out. You know, Sharon, just mm-hmm. to that point, um, I had a, after my, I went through this the first time I had a, some issues with swallowing. I was having a you know problem when I'd lay down at night, I couldn't swallow and it was really um, starting to bother me. So I went to an ear, nose and throat doctor and I told him, you know, that I'd had cancer and now, you know, I'm dealing with this and I don't know what it is. And he said, Oh, you cancer people, you always do that. Uh. And I looked at him and I said, excuse me. <laughs> You cancer people? And I said, okay, I think we're done here. And I got up and I left. And and I did go to another doctor, and it turned out I had acid reflux, and they gave me some pills, and it seemed to help. But um, but that that is part of being your own best advocate, too. When you're mistreated or, you know, you, you need to stand up for yourself. I fired a few <clears throat> medical professionals in my life <laughs> because I don't <laughs> like being treated like I don't count. So um, anyway, yeah. And your, and your opinion does matter yeah. because, again, you know your body best. Yeah. Yes. That may not be that weird for the general population, but for you, it was different. And so it's appropriate for you to get those things figured out. And especially if it doesn't go away within a few weeks. Again, I mean, you know, honestly, I I remember having a, a, a pain in my hip. And it was new for me. And I'm like, gosh, what is this? And, of course, the first thing that comes to your mind is a cancer survivor. Oh, I hope the cancer didn't come back. 
back in my hip. And uh, so after it kind of persisted for a few weeks, sure enough, I went in and had an x-ray just to make sure. And it was fine. It was fine. I needed to go to the chiropractor. Or, you know, I had some arthritis or whatever, you know, it came out to be. But it wasn't cancer, thank the good Lord. But again, it could have been. It could yeah. have been, you know. And so we need to to... Pay attention to those things. Yep. So let's get back to you, right. Julie. <laughs> Obviously, that's a hot topic for us. So, <laughs> so when 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 you were diagnosed and all of that, and you realize, oh my goodness, I have to go through this. What kind of treatment did you go through? Oh, that's interesting because um, I had had this horrified fascination my entire life with with cancer and with breast cancer. Specifically, I do not know why. It was just ingrained in me. I read the Gilda Radner book. It's always something about her ovarian cancer. I read the Jill Ireland book, you know, Lifelines and right. Life Wish. She wrote two books about her journey with breast cancer, and that was in the 90s. And I was just, I kept them like Bibles for some reason. I don't know why. So I always thought, and I was reading about what she went through when she went through chemo, and I thought, I, you know, I've had this phobia about throwing up since I was five years old. So that that would stop me from having chemo. I was convinced. So when I was told that I had, you know, positive lymph nodes and would need chemo, I looked at them and I said, well, that's, I can't do that. Uh, that's worse than dying <laughs> for me. So then my dear husband, he is so down to earth. He took me aside, very gently said to me, he says, okay, if you don't have chemo, you will most likely get very sick and then you will die. If you do have chemo, you may or may not get sick and you may or may not die. He said, which, which scenario sounds better to you? <laughs> Right, right. So I thought, okay, at least there's some gray areas. There's some, you know, there's some possibilities for one one choice, which I would not have with the other choice. And so I I just threw myself at the mercy of my oncologist. He was wonderful. But I said, I'm sorry, you're the harbinger of doom to me. You're you're a nice man, but I can't think of you any other way. You just look like, (laughs) you know, a specter with a big hood and a big, you know, sickle sitting there (laughs) looking at me. (laughs) And he laughed, and I said, please tell me you've got some really good drugs to make me comfortable. And uh, he said, of course we do. And I said, just lay everything on me you got. So, boy, they gave me the Emend, and they gave me Compazine. They gave me Marinol, which apparently is marijuana, and you have to keep it in the fridge. I didn't touch that. But uh, everything you could think of, they gave me. And I was, you know, mildly nauseated for the first 10 days of each cycle. But uh, thank goodness I got through it. And uh, I had six cycles, and I did the TAC regimen, which is the Taxotere, the Adromycin, and the Cytoxin, which is the three. Those were the three standard of care drugs back then. And uh, I was her two negative, so I didn't need the Herceptin. So I had six infusions, and then I had 33 radiations. And uh, they did take my ovaries as well because I was not quite into menopause. When I hit menopause, I hit it like a brick wall. After that first Mm -hmm. chemo, that was it. Everything shut down. And, uh, yep. So at that point, they said, okay, we need to get those ovaries out, and then we can give you the Arimidex, which is is a good gun to have in your arsenal. So Mm -hmm. I I went with that. And um, and then... The Arimidex, I'm still on. I've had to fight to stay on it because most oncologists will say, oh, 10 years, it's not doing you any good after 10 years. And I said, well, you know, you can't prove it isn't. (laughs) You know, you can't (laughs) prove a negative. And I said, what if this is the one thing that is keeping me recurrent-free, you know? And 
I don't have any side effects. We have to watch my bone density real closely. I did have to have annual infusions of a bone strengthener uh, reclassed for a while. And then I stabilized, and, you know, I'm osteopenic, but I don't have osteoporosis. And so That's they've good. allowed me to stay on the Arimidex. I found a wonderful oncologist that was able to do that for me. So, You so know, there's so been, many different uh, things that work. There's, there's a lot of different ways this, this all works. You know, I've been on some kind yeah. of estrogen blocker for years. I started with tamoxifen, which yeah. is kind of the one that they put you on initially. And then I advanced yep. as my, every time I got off tamoxifen, two years later, I got cancer on the other side. I've been on estrogen blockers ever since. And now on this mm-hmm. trial that I'm on, we're moving me to phase two. And phase two, they took mm-hmm. away my um, Femara, which is another estrogen blocker. Right. And they put me put right. me back on um, tamoxifen because it, blo- it blocks it a different way. It yeah. actually, it just blocks it. Instead that's of reducing the amount of estrogen, it blocks it. And so the cancer, the goal is the cancer can't get to it. So, you know, it's yeah. funny. The, these things all seem to work, but everybody's got a different mindset on how they work. So I don't know that there's a yeah. right or wrong. Yeah. And, you know, there's just, no. we're all it's different. Just, we all have different paths, you yeah. know, and that's, I mean, unfortunately, we all got to cancer. But, yeah. but again, our journey from cancer and to cancer are all different. All completely different. Yep. Mm-hmm. yep. Very so, much. Julie, yeah. let's switch gears a little bit and let's talk about your beautiful husband. You know, he he was a huge sense of of strength for you. Um, why don't you talk about him for a few minutes? You know, to maybe talk about some of the simple things he did for you to kind of help you through your journey, and we'll just go from there. So, yeah. Well, again, uh, he is a Midwestern stock. You know, very practical, very down to earth conservative i mean not not conservative politically but just he he is a realist i am a pessimist and he is a realist and there is a difference because realists sometimes can sound a bit dour but basically so in other words he wasn't the kind of guy that would tell me oh you're going to be fine this is nothing because if i'd have heard that coming out of his mouth it would have scared the tar out of me he just doesn't talk like that and i don't ever mm-hmm. believe it when people tell me that either what right. he says is it is what it is we will do what we need to do, and we will take each day one day at a time. Beautiful. And uh, that's exactly what happened. Um, every day when I'd wake up after my infusion, I'd open my eyes and I'd look into his face and he'd say, day one, and smile mm-hmm. at me. And then the next day we'd open our eyes and he'd say, day two. And we were just checking off the days to get through those chemo treatments because the first seven days were the worst. We had like Hell Wednesday was the seventh day, <laughs> always. The infusion was the Wednesday, and then the seventh day after that was Hell Wednesday. That was the worst one. And then after 10 days, I'd start coming out of it, and I had that extra third week in the cycle to help me bounce back again before they brought me down again. And so he would look at me and say, day one, day two, day three. He would be right there trying to get me to drink my fluids, no, I'm not, you know, leaving the room until you finish that green tea. And <laughs> it was so hard because I had my taste buds were all wonky and I didn't want to drink. And, you know, so he was my taskmaster as far as that went. He doesn't usually get tough on me, but he felt he needed to. Um, and I remember after the surgery, I was concerned with what would be the initial, what would it look like? And rather than me looking down at myself as I got unwrapped, I looked at him looking at me. I watched his oh. face. And when his face relaxed and, and looked pleased, then I knew it was going to be okay. I didn't even have mm. to look at myself. I thought, okay, if he has that look on his face, everything's going to be good. You know, it must oh, be good And job. that moment, that moment is so, so critical. Ooh. 
Yeah, yeah it really yeah. is. And, you know, it, it's, I, I'm just so glad to hear how, how he was just there for you. And, you know, the comment that you made earlier about when people say, oh, you're going to be fine. You know, you're going to beat yeah. this. People say that all the time. You've got this. You're going to beat this. And I know, I know that they mean goodness in their heart when they say that. But it does yeah. kind of, of invalidate the feelings and the fears that yeah. we have. And I think a better yep. answer is, you know what? This is what it is. I love what he said. This is what it is. We're, we're going to yeah. do everything we need to do. And, you know, we'll take it one day at a time. That is the perfect answer. And it's sincere and it's real. Mm-hmm. And, and just like you said, mm-hmm. he's a realist. It's not, it's not pessimistic mm-hmm. to, to say that. It's well, just and real. And it's not minimizing what no. you're going through. And the fear no. and, the, and the, you know, the physical ups and downs and, you know, just, ugh. This, yeah, you're right. It is a very real statement. And sometimes when our friends and family don't know what to say, that's a great thing to say. Just, mm-hmm. it's, it is what it is. We're going to do this together, right? Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm here with mm-hmm. you. We're Every gonna, step of the way. Yeah. We're going to get through this together. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, one step at a time. So, Julie, one yeah. of the things my husband did for me when I was going through this, because I, I don't have a, probably the phobia of vomiting like you apparently did, but I really don't like yeah. it. But sometimes I'll just, if I'm feeling like that, I'll just do it and get it over with. But um, the morning that I was going for chemo, my husband was scrubbing all the toilets in the house. And I thought, wow, that's unusual. He goes, well, yeah. you might be hugging these later. And I don't want them to be nasty. <laughs> I thought that was pretty sweet. So why don't you, can you just share a couple of things that maybe Ray did? Ray, I'm so sorry. Roy, I know his name's Roy. Mm-hmm. What Roy did for you yeah. that might, you know, just some simple things that our audience can learn from. Yeah, again, he was just there. I mean, after my surgery, my mastectomies, he took a whole month off work and basically was just around because I was limited in my mobility for a while, couldn't lift things, you know, couldn't do this, couldn't do that. He helped me with my stretching and my range of motion because a lot of the movements that they have you do, like stand up against the wall with your arms straight up against the wall and push them. You can't move your own arms when you're in that that position. And so he would very gently help me with this stretching exercises, which I think was critical in helping me regain my range of motion. I have incredibly good range of motion now. Plus, I've kept up with my exercises, but at the time, I couldn't move the arms myself. He was there to help me move them. And there were massages that had to be done. I had cording under my arm. One of the cords would not relax. It was very tight because they'd had to remove so much tissue. And my lymphedema lady said, you know, you need to massage the cords and try to get them to relax back down into the tissue. And he would help me with the massages um, to get the cording to go flatter. And then he made, of course, every appointment, he was right there with me as a second pair of ears. And I hear things filtered through my own fear. That's how I hear things. So when I remember them, they're distorted by my fear. He hears Mm -hmm. them with the ears of a practical person who understands and knows that it has to happen, even though it's Mm -hmm. scary. And so he's able to debrief me, to translate it to me in terms that, you know, I can grasp and that maybe I won't be so scared of, you know. Like they That's were talking huge. about leukemia. Yeah. When, when, when we were presented with the options for chemotherapy, the oncologist said, now, Julie, there are going to be risks. There are going to be long-term risks for this because it's very strong medicine. You will have a risk of a very rare blood disorder. You may have risk of heart problems. Ha ha. How significant that ended up being. And, um, and he was rattling off all these future things that might happen. 
And then he offered me a trial as well. And Roy and I both know that I'm not the experimental type, so we kind of demurred on that. But <laughs> but um, you, you don't think about these heaviness of these things until later when you can discuss them. And uh, he said, well, this was what he was saying. You You could risk this, but this might happen. And he sort of broke it down for me in terms that, he knows my fear, and he knows what I'm most scared of, and he was able to kind of address it for me in a way that leveled things out, leveled the playing mm-hmm. field for me. So That's right. wonderful. Just That's invaluable. Wonderful. Invaluable. Well, yeah. we are, we're almost out of time in this segment, and so we, but we have a couple minutes left, or maybe a minute and a half. One minute, apparently. Mm-hmm. Um, so just real quickly, <laughs> um, one of the things that Roy did is he went to one of your support group meetings and spoke to the group yeah. as, a care, as the caregiver. Can you just very quickly tell us about that, and then we'll pick it up on the other side if we run out of time. Yeah, it was wonderful. I was so proud of him that night. The the women could bring their partners if they wanted to. So there were men in the room, and he spoke directly to them saying, look, you know, you're expected to be uh, upstanding and positive, and there are times you can't be, and you need to have those times as well, but not around, you know, your survivor. And so um, he, he stressed that these guys need to take time for themselves, because if they're not strong, you know, then they can't be strong for their partner. That's so right. um, I think they, it really, it really met, met their needs when he was speaking directly to them like that. Well, I know our guest last yeah. week talked about the caregivers being the unsung heroes, and that is yeah. so, so, true. Oh, so, so true. true. So true. So yeah. true. So on that note, Julie, we're going to go ahead and take a short break. So stay tuned. We'll be back in a minute. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. When was the last time you felt free? It's time to uncover that feeling again with the compassion of a cross and shield and the power of a card that opens doors to the best hospitals and medical centers in all 50 states. Giving you the freedom to love, to dream, to dance like no one is watching. Regions Blue Cross Blue Shield. Live fearless. Thank you for listening today. Breast Friends needs your support. We rely on donations to keep our doors open and to keep this radio program alive. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation to Breast Friends. You can visit us at breastfriends.org. You can also like us on Facebook at Breast Friends of Oregon. Be sure to tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time and Thursdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Women's Channel for Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Visit breastfriends.org and contribute today. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective, plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite hosts. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are tuned in to Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. To reach the program today, please call us at 1-866-472-5792. 
Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Becky at breastfriends.org. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to our program. We've been talking with our guest, Julie Sieber. So we were talking about your husband and what a wonderful caregiver he was. But you know what? Um, The tricky part is, especially for a male partner, I think is to be the rock, right? And all of a sudden... Uh, you know, it, it, it's a big role. It's a big, a lot of big shoes to fill. And so Roy actually did go through some depression afterward, if I understand correctly. Is that right? He did. And, you know, it's interesting because it was very delayed. I mean, I got through the treatment. It took me two years, you know, to get through the treatment. I was done in 2007. And by 2008, some things had changed for him at work. And there was a new administrator, and he was having difficulty adjusting with that. So it kind of, a lot of things kind of collapsed on him at once, but we are 100% convinced that just the stress of carrying me through that treatment and um, the, the scares that followed, I had a few scares. I had, you know, some bone pain and went in for a nuclear bone scan. And every time something happened, we thought, this is it, this is it. Yeah, so it yeah. was just like PTSD. It really was. He would be ducking mm-hmm. bullets that weren't even there, you know. And so one day he just couldn't get out of bed. He just, he said, well, I can't get up. And uh, he couldn't go to work. And he actually, this is not like him. He never misses work. But he missed like two months of work because he just couldn't couldn't face anybody. He kind of shut down. But wow. what he did with that is he started taking pictures of birds. He went down to the, the uh, wildlife reserve and he spent hours in the wilderness with his camera. And that was a therapy for him. And he ended up selling these beautiful hummingbird and, you know, crane pictures, storks and, you know, um, for, for um, funds to fund breast cancer. So he donated his photos and the time he spent recovering from my treatment he donated it back to the breast cancer community. So it kind of was a big circle. It really was interesting. It just went all yeah. the way around. And we were a beneficiary yeah. of some of, uh, one of those photos, too. It was an yeah. eagle, as I recall. It was beautiful. Yeah. 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 Gorgeous. Yep. Well, yeah. and and we were talking yeah. about um, how do you cope with uh, without a support group. I know you had a wonderful mm-hmm. support group up in Longview, right? Mm-hmm. I did. I uh, made a point not to go to the support group until after my first infusion because I was terrified that I would hear horror stories, which would make <laughs> me so scared I wouldn't walk into the infusion room. And so right. I thought, okay, I'm going to plan this, and I'm going to go to my first meeting in uh, August because my chemo, my first chemo was July 5th. So okay. I went to the first meeting in August, and I've never stopped going. They were instrumental in my return to work. I took nine months off work. I've been at this job over 40 years. And I'd had long blonde hair the whole time. And, uh, of course, now I look like a little baby seal with the little short, dark, <laughs> you know, tendrils coming in. And uh-huh. just beginning the, the beginnings of my chemo grow, and I thought, I'm due to go back to work. Should I, should I wear my beautiful blonde wig that my mom bought me that looks just like my old hair and, and break them in gently? And, and my support group said, Julie, no, you walk in there tomorrow with your head bare and held high and show them what you have been through and what you have fought, the battle you have fought. And I said, that you're right. I said, I'm not that blonde girl anymore. You know, I'm a bald-headed warrior. <laughs> so uh-huh. yeah. I thought, I'm going to shock them. I'm going to shock them. And so it was as much for, for the gut reaction I knew I would get as anything. And then I just found that I loved short hair. I got really lazy being bald, and I thought, well, 
I don't want to have to blow dry every day. That took 20 <laughs> minutes. So, but I tell you what, when I walked in, that was very powerful because it was obviously not a short haircut. It was a chemo grow. You know, when right. you see the bangs way up at the scalp, you know that yeah. that's a chemo grow, not an intentional haircut. <laughs> Yeah, and you've kept your hair short powerful. since then, haven't you? I, I mean, have. your hair is darling. And one yeah. reason is I'm very, I'm very superstitious. I think, you know what, if I have to go through chemo again and lose it, there will be less to lose, you know. Yeah. It was really hard <laughs> cutting off all the blonde hair. There is a lot of, yeah. lot of truth to that. <laughs> well, and again, yeah. you know, when, when your hair is long, I think that yeah. process of losing your hair is, ugh, it's just... That's why yeah, we, we suggest people get, you know, yeah. get a short, sassy cut that maybe you wouldn't ever try normally and, you know, yeah, try to try to do that that's and have some did. fun with it. Yeah, because otherwise, yeah. oh, those long hairs on your pillow, it just seems, yeah. seems heartbreaking. Yeah. 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 So, but the, yeah, so, my support group, again, very important to me. Yeah. Yeah. And then you use blogging and, and, uh, uh, reading some of yeah, the, were, the other people's uh, posts? Yes. Um, I became acquainted with breastcancer.org, which has been the source of many, um, you know, a lot of knowledge, a lot of good friends, and sadly I have lost a few friends because some of them cross over to the stage four thread. And, you know, when you're, I've been on there for like 12 years now, and uh, you do see the life cycle come and go because that's the nature of breast cancer. But it's amazing how close you can get. I, I couldn't find anyone that was stage 3 in Longview. You know, they'd all say, stage 3 with 10 lymph nodes, wow. You know, and they, they'd look at me saying, like, you're going to die. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There just weren't that many that were as far along as I was. And then I got on breastcancer.org, and there's a whole thread for stage 3. And I thought, oh, these women get it. They get it. They get me. And yeah. uh, so, and now I have pen pal friendships. I don't know if you call it pen pals anymore. It's kind of like cyber pals, isn't it? You don't yeah. have a pen to paper. But uh, all across the United States, I have a friend in New York and then another one, and I'm not sure where she is. But and they they get you, you know. They are they are close to your heart. They speak the cancer language and they understand. So um, the breastcancer.org has been very important to me. I had chemo angels when I was going through treatment who actually worked in my um, office, not in the office. We have several branches. They worked for my company. They were One was in Olympia and one was in Tacoma. But they would send me cards. They would keep track of my infusion dates and send me a card that would get oh, there right before nice. I was due to go in for chemo. And so that's I referred to them as my chemo angels. And so... That's that's the way you do it. You can't pay them back because they've already been through it, and you know you can thank them. But the only way to really thank them, I think, is to just pay it forward to someone else and have that goodness and that caring and that empathy flow out of you into you from them and out of you to someone else who needs it. Um, strangely enough, I, we just had a coworker in my department was diagnosed within four months of her being hired about four years ago. And the other strange thing is the office was completely empty when she got her diagnosis over the phone, except for me and her. And I I talk about the angels lining up. I I saw her come out of the break room, and she just walked right into my arms, and I thought, this needed to happen. I mean, short of her husband being with her, who else would get exactly what it feels like right that moment? Yep. And uh, it was very powerful. And, of course, she went through the whole journey, and, it's it's just amazing how many we've had as many as three survivors in this office. There's just 15 of us here in Longview. We've had as many as three uh, 
in the office at one time. At one time. So, oh, my goodness. Oh, yeah, my goodness. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, it sounds like um, the, the quote, um, I love this quote, the only way I can pay it back is to pay it forward. Yeah, and forward. you were certainly mm-hmm. paying it forward when you were there for her in the office. But tell me about mm-hmm. how you came up with that particular quote. It's interesting because, you know, there's that movie with um, – I love that movie, by the way. Yeah, (laughs) Haley Joel Osment, and it was called Pay It Forward, and this was this idea he came up with that there would be so much more goodness in the world if people just did favors for people randomly, random acts of kindness. And this isn't even random. For me, I feel a responsibility to newly diagnosed women to tell them as much or as little and to share as much or as little as they can handle at any particular time. I always leave it up to them to call me, And yet sometimes I will just reach out and say, I'm thinking of you. But I don't say, tell me about your treatment. Oh, this and this and this happened to me, unless they want to know. Because I have to be very careful. I have an incredible amount of knowledge. And, you know, some people don't appreciate the technicalities. They just want to know, will I get through it? How long will it take? Exactly. So, you, do you know, Julie, there's a good solid point. There's a solid yeah. point there. I just want to jump in here for a second. A lot of yeah. times I think people are afraid to make that phone call because they don't know yeah. what to ask you about your cancer. But to your point, you don't have to ask about their cancer. Just say, hey, I was thinking right. about you today. I, I was walk, taking a walk in the park and I saw a flower and it made me think of you. I mean, whatever. Or mm-hmm. I saw a movie yeah. that I knew you would appreciate. Just anything to let them know that they have not been forgotten, mm-hmm. but don't ex- yep. don't you don't have to ask them to tell you about their cancer if they want exactly. to they will but that doesn't have to be about yeah. that you know that's yeah, was yeah. one of my biggest yeah. fears is that you know I would die and the world would go on without me and nobody would know that I was even gone and you know it's kind of yeah. a it's a really sad depressing time for a lot of people but just mm-hmm. knowing that you haven't been forgotten changes your world mm-hmm. you know and mm-hmm. so that mm-hmm. that's a Good point that you just brought up, and thank you. Thank you for that reminder. Yeah. Yeah. So let me ask you something, Julie. You guys, we're going to switch gears again here a little bit. Okay, you and Roy did what my husband and I did. We bought a cabin at the coast. Mm -hmm. Now, you guys are in Mm -hmm. Cannon Beach. So what was that something that was always Mm -hmm. on a bucket list of yours? It was on mine, but... (laughs) Isn't that funny? We never thought we could ever afford it, but it was the, the lowest price house on the market. It had been on the market for six months, and nobody had ever looked at it. And uh, we have been going since 1983 and staying in this little mom-and-pop motel right across from the rock, and we thought nothing could beat this. But um, this little place in Midtown right up in the woods uh, came came up for sale, and, and the stars just lined up, and, and we thought, you know, I think we need to do this. And it was five years ago. It was life-changing because we are there every Friday. He picks me up here at work. We leave my car in the parking lot, and we hit Highway 30 and drive down there every Friday night. And oh so my. it's like we're Good practicing for, for retirement. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we have one foot in retirement on weekends just, just to feel it out and see what it feels like. But it has. It's opened up a whole new community. We have friends down there that we've known for 35 years because we've been buying art from them. I mean, Roy always says the one way to make good friends is, is uh, patronize their business. Yeah, <laughs> so it's, a, it's true. <laughs> you know, especially in a small community like Cannon Beach. Uh, Bill and yeah. I have the, have a cabin in Florence, and it's a it's the same kind of thing. I mean, we we bought a house that had been on the market for three years, you know, and they kept <laughs> dropping the price. And then one day we yeah. we looked the day before, and it was not on the list of you know our waterfront properties in our price range. The next morning we woke up, it was there, and it's on a lake, and uh-huh. it's it's 
lovely. It's not fancy by any means, but it is our getaway yeah. place too. So I totally value yeah. that. Now you've done a couple of other things. It, uh, one of the benefits of being at the cabin uh, there in Cannon Beach is walking, mm-hmm. but you had, a, yeah. had to do a hip replacement to make that happen. So. Yes, I did. I oh, had two isn't old age the pits. one on either side. <laughs> And I think that's courtesy of my dear mother. I think those are hereditary. I really don't think it has anything to do with bone loss or arimidex. I think I was just destined. Uh, but uh, the first one was at age 58, and then I had one um, in 2017, a couple of years ago. One on yeah. either side. And the second one, I had to do an EKG before the surgery to make sure that my, you know, I was fit for surgery. And it, and it came up with an abnormality. And they said, you know, you should go in and have this checked out. So I had a nuclear stress test, which revealed my ejection fraction was 44%. That's how much blood your heart is pumping out. It's supposed to be pumping about 55 to 60. So they said, 44%, that's not bad. You can still have the surgery. So I went ahead with it. And then I'm trying to recover. I'm trying to walk. I'm going up hills. And Roy goes, boy, you seem winded. You know, you're not bouncing back from this surgery very well. we got to lick that cardio back into shape. And I said, yeah, what's wrong with me? And the winded, you know, the windedness just kept going on and on. And finally I thought, maybe I ought to follow up on that ejection fraction. So I had a, a series of other tests. And it turned out my ejection fraction had dropped to 20%. Oh, and boy. it's like, how are you even standing up? <laughs> That's what the cardiologist yeah. said. <laughs> and so what the result of that was, I have a stretched left ventricle, which is not able to push the blood out. It's too weak. It's like a balloon that has no push left in it. And it's mm. just kind of flopping around full of blood, and the heart is uh, not doing what it's supposed to be doing. And they, they say that is courtesy of chemo. So mm. um, another challenge. You know, oh, and I know life is a series of <laughs> well, challenges. Yeah, the gift that keeps on giving. But um, <laughs> but you're doing you're doing okay tried, now, right? Well, yeah, they tried medication, which didn't seem to have an effect. My blood pressure is very low, and they can't put, give me too much more, or I will just stand up and fall down. Mm-hmm. So what they did was they put a defibrillator implant into my chest last last summer. And uh, it's supposed to shock me if my heart starts fibrillating too fast, if it goes over 220 beats a minute. So I try to stay as cal- real calm as, <laughs> as much as I can. Yeah. Now, that's a joke. Nobody wants to get shocked. No <laughs> so, <laughs> no control Julie, you've, you've been through quite okay. a ride, you know, um, doing all of this. And quite we are, unfortunately, out of time. So. I want to, first off, thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule. I know that your work day starts earlier than this show is now ending. So um, we want to just thank you so much for taking the time, you know, from your job to come and be on the show with us. So so thank you very much Um, to all of our listeners out there. you know, we have a, a wonderful website. It's www.breastfriends.org. There are, there are a lot of different resources on there. There's a page for friends and family, tips and things that you can do to help support someone through their, their battle. If you're the patient yourself, you can go onto the patient tab and you'll find things like questions to ask your doctor. There's just a lot of, of good information. You can also do it through our Breast Friends app. We have those same um resources on the Breast Friends app. So just go to Google Play or iTunes and, you know, the Apple Store and find, search for the Breast Friends app and download that and you can become part of our community online as well. Uh, We also have a Facebook page. um, It's Breast Friends of Oregon. So you can visit us there. Um, If you love our radio show and we hope that you do and we know some, we have about 20,000 listeners a month now, which is very exciting. So if you are among those listeners and you enjoy what you're 
you're hearing on our radio show every week, please consider going to the top of that page. Hit the big blue button at the top and make a donation to Breast Friends in support of the work that we do. Um, So with all of that said, we'll be back next week. And until then, remember, there is always hope and we're here to help you find it. Thank you for listening to Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Please join Sharon Hannafin and Becky Olson again next Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel and Thursdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Women's Channel. There is always hope and we'll help you find it. We'll talk again next time.